Hi guys, welcome back to Women for Women Wednesday on My Opinion. I am back this week with another amazing guest. Her name is Carrie Gard and she is the COO of MKG Marketing. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Maya. I'm so excited to have you here and I'm so excited to have another COO, awesome boss lady on the show. So tell us a little bit about your journey. You've been with the company, congratulations, 10 years. That's incredible. Tell us a little bit about MKG Marketing first and then we'll go into your journey. Sure. So MKG is a digital marketing agency. We are out to help complex healthcare and tech brands be found via transparent, measurable digital marketing. That's our mission. And so, yeah, we, we built the company 10 years ago and we're, we're still going. That's amazing. Well, and it's really important to have a clear mission and you do. So everyone listening, remember if you're building your company or if your company doesn't have a clear mission, how important is that Carrie? Right. Uh, the most important thing. Yeah. Along with values, those two things, mission and values. I love it. I say it too. So now they're hearing it from you as well. So thank you for (laughs) saying that. That's incredible. Again, congratulations on the 10 years. That's so awesome. Tell me about your journey in this though, Carrie, what is your background and and how did you get involved in, in building MKG and you're the COO? Like, tell me where this all started. So I started as a media planner back in New York city. Uh, in 2007, I was working on traditional media, so TV, print, all those lovely ads you see, you can yell at me for them. I helped place ads, essentially. That was my job, mm-hmm. was to place ads in TV and print. And then I jumped to digital. I got a job working at Publicis Modem, also in New York City, right above um, uh, the market in Chelsea. Chelsea Market is my favorite place. I loved it. And Uh, I was working on the YoPlay account and it was me and I worked up to a VP. So there was nobody between me and a VP. It was just me running the show, placing digital media for YoPlay. It was about a $10 million account. That's awesome. And then I met my husband uh, while I was on vacation in Hawaii Mm -hmm. and he was working at Microsoft in Seattle. And so I decided to pick up my whole life and move out to Seattle which was a whole different ball game in terms of work. Uh, all of a sudden people were leaving at five and they had these things called SLAs was, you know, where they promised they would deliver something within a certain amount of time. I was like, but didn't they need that yesterday? Like, why are we saying we'll deliver this in three days? Like, like everything in New York was yesterday. This is yeah. really bizarre, but okay. Um, so it was a completely different sort of vibe in in Seattle when I started working for MEC on the Microsoft account. Um, And then I got picked up from a recruiter and I started working at a small boutique agency in downtown Seattle called Wong Duty, which is where I met my business partner. And we were working on really big accounts, Western Digital, Cedar sinai And our clients would turn around to us and go, so how much money did we make? Like we spent millions of dollars with you placing our ads all across the internet how much money do we make? And we would look at each other and go, we didn't measure, we weren't measuring that because we can't, we can't measure how many patients you got or how 
much money you made from this product you were selling in store. So we don't know, but we can tell you that you got this many people to see your ad and mm-hmm. this many people clicked on your ad and there you go. <laughs> and so we got really tired of having these conversations that led to nowhere and a, a company showed up and they said, we want this boutique agency in Seattle to run our media. And how do you feel about doing it? And, and uh, they were a travel site, which meant we could actually measure how many people we drove to their site and how many people actually booked reservations. And we were like, yes, finally. And uh, unfortunately it was small potatoes. It was peanuts for what this agency was making on a regular basis. And they were like, they're too small. We can't afford it. You know, it'll just suck us dry. And my business partner who we were 26 and 24 at the time, like looked at each other and said, and so we started an agency pretty much on the spot and pitched the company and the company fell through at the time, which was fine, but it got us off the ground, right? You sort of just need that moment. They got us off the ground and we, my husband got a job at Netflix down in Silicon Valley. And I was like, Hey, Mike, business partner, how do you feel about moving to San Francisco? And he's like, let's go. And so our very first real paying job as MKG was box.com. And we were like, this is it like tech. We can actually measure the end to end user experience and, and how much money we make these companies. This is it. And so that's where it all began. 10 years ago. That makes total sense because I was like, you got to take me through this story, Carrie, because where's the tech coming in? But mm-hmm. Silicon Valley, hello. That's, that's where the tech came in. Yep, that's awesome. Yeah. But I mean, I can understand though. I mean, how frustrating for you because your clients are coming to you and they want to see that return on investment. Yeah. And how are, how are you going to measure that? You, you can't. So you obviously saw a problem for them and you found the solution. So here you are 10 years later, right? And Absolutely. still running. So how large is your company now? So we're 15 people. So slow and steady, but we only hire experts. So people mm-hmm. who have eight plus years of experience. And when you're working with people of that caliber who are incredibly productive, don't need a huge workforce. You just need the right people. You can run a real lean team. Yeah, yep. that's awesome. And I assume you're still with your business partner, the original one. Yeah, yep. that's great. Oh my God, that's so cool. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that that story because I know there's a lot of people that listen to the podcast that are you know in leadership roles or stepping into them, but some that want to step out and create their own company, especially while we're going through the pandemic, right? You know, this has been a lot of job loss that's happened. So a lot of people are wanting to create And it's possible. You got to find a problem and create the solution just like you did. Absolutely. Something that's interesting too, that's happened during the pandemic. And I know this is something you like to talk about because well, one, you have a lean team, but is your team, I mean, you're remote. We were just talking about this. So is your team all over the place? Talk to me about your, the setup of your team. Yes. We started in the West coast. Our first employee was in the West coast, but Mike and I were in Silicon Valley in San Francisco and San Jose, but the first employee was in Vancouver, Washington. So he wasn't near us, but not really right. He was going to show up at an office every day. And so, and he was a dad of, of a little girl. And so that really kicked off this idea of remote. It also cleared overhead and all sorts of things. It made us incredibly flexible. And so we just began that way and then haven't really looked back. So now we're in Vancouver, Washington, Portland, Oregon, Austin, Texas, 
New Orleans in Louisiana, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Vermont. We have two people in Vermont and Massachusetts. So we are definitely spread across the coasts, so to speak. Yeah, you're literally all over the U.S. That's that's crazy. Awesome. So this is something I talk about a lot on my podcast because this is my past too. I've led teams all across the U.S., even across the pond and, you know, in Canada too and Puerto Rico, different places as well. And I know that it can be done quite effectively. You also mentioned the overhead is very low, but this is something people did not realize or even start to think about until the pandemic hit because we were forced to start thinking about it. So it's something I work with on, you know, just one-on-one or with clients, you know, and just transitioning in, in certain ways. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic with you because you've been doing this since day one with your company and you continue to do it. You know, how do you effectively manage? And do you, I'm sure you've hired some of these people without ever meeting them in person. Yeah, I, which breaks my heart a little bit because I'm such a people person and I, mm-hmm. I have made an effort before the pandemic to go meet people. Like I got to tell one of our SEO directors who's in Philadelphia, which is where I grew up. I actually got to meet him in person and tell him in person that we were going to, we have a 90 day trial. And so I got to tell him in person that like he surpasses 90 day trial and we're going to hire him full time. So there is immense value, value in meeting people in person, but in terms of day to day, you can certainly do it remotely since day one. Yeah, I agree with you too. I think the connection in person is so important, but I think that you know, there was so many companies, there was such an emphasis on having to go into an office and people didn't realize how effective you can truly be remotely. So how do you guys manage that? And how do you, like, that's been your culture all along. So how did you create that culture effectively from day one? Yeah. I mean, it starts with the people right before the world went remote. We really needed to find the right people who wanted that lifestyle, Mm -hmm. who didn't want to commute who found the value in being at home, who could work from home. I mean, it takes a certain level of productivity, which I know I can say now with a whole lot of under, you know, people understanding what that really means of the diligence of creating that work-life balance and being able to be productive and all of that. It certainly takes a certain person and lifestyle. We definitely veered towards parents at first, but now it doesn't seem to matter. But the way we do it is through connectivity. Most importantly, transparency and accountability, right? In terms of transparency, we don't care that you have to go pick up a kid from school who's sick. Mm -hmm. You need to go do that. You're a parent and that matters. And so we just need to know where you are because we can't whiz by somebody's desk and see that they're not sitting there anymore. Obviously a lot of people use Slack these days. We've actually migrated over to Zoom and Zoom chat. So Zoom has this chat feature and we created rooms and we have a general room. We just need to know where you are in the general room, are you going out for lunch? Are you picking up a kid? Are you leaving for the day? We don't care. You need to be where you need to be. We just need to know where you are. Above all else, transparency and accountability. You're going to pick the hours that work for you. You're going to show up to client meetings and you make sure you're in an internal meetings. But if you're working late at night or you're working early in the morning, we have some people, not even kidding you, Maya, this is kind of incredible. I'm in the UK. So my mm-hmm. hours are totally wonky. Yeah. I start my day at like 1230 in the afternoon. And then I go till about 10 o'clock at night, which is fine. I signed up for that life. But for some people who work on the Pacific Northwest, I literally see them sign on at the same time. Oh, wow. Their kids have woken them up in the middle of the night and they don't want to go back to sleep. So they're like, I'll just work and then I'll have my whole afternoon off. 
mm-hmm. right? Because that's what works for them. I don't care. That's what works for you. And you can be at meetings. That's the lifestyle you chose. Who am I to sit here and judge you? It really just comes down to that flexibility. And like I've been saying, transparency and accountability at the end of the day, that makes remote working matter. If you start judging your workforce for the hours they choose, for the hours they don't choose, for how they show up during the day, then it's not going to, it's not the culture you're building for a remote works lifestyle. You have to build in that flexibility and allow people to show up, especially right now, people have kids at home trying to do school, trying to live under their feet, quite literally, like you have to give space for that real life experience that's happening to your people. And if you can't, then maybe this isn't, you know, once the world opens up again and get people back in the office and maybe that's best for you, but. No, I love how you explain that because the transparency part is really important. When people talk to me about it, they're like, I just don't, I don't know. Like, how do I make sure people are doing their work? And I, how do I make sure that we can communicate? And how do you keep that culture? And how do you stay in touch? And I'm like, okay, guys, I'm like, this is not like 1980 where we have, we have a landline. And like, I'm like, there are so many options. I mean, you mentioned yeah. too, Slack is great. We've got Zoom, but there's so many features to Zoom. I mean, the second the pandemic hit, Zoom has just been upgrading to all these different things. I mean, there are so many options, so many ways to keep in touch, so many ways to hold your team accountable, but also to your point, there's transparency, but that builds so much trust too, between you and your team. And, you know, we really didn't have a choice. I mean, regardless of what kind of company you're running, there has to be some kind of remote aspect. You know, I think building those relationships and trusting your team, it just brings you to a totally different level. And that's why I think remote working, I mean, I know it's here to stay. I think we all know it's here to stay, but it just depends on what's going to work for your, your company. I mean, obviously we know there are certain industries where you do have to go in. I mean, obviously if you're a pilot, you got to go fly a plane. Like there's things like yeah. that, right? I mean, I get there's it. Certain people too. There's certain people who just need to live off of that in-person mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to honor those people and to give space to those people. And then it's okay to honor the people who don't need that anymore. They're like, oh my gosh, you don't have to get in a car and drive for an hour. Like, yeah. Right. So I do think there's going to be this balance between the in-person and the not in-person. And you just need to give space to those people who realize what works for them. Yeah. And we're doing the same. Like we've been remote since day one, but we also have an office in New Orleans and some people really like to go there and that's okay. And we also are like, if you want a remote working space and you want to go into an office once or twice a week, like figure that out and we'll pay for it. You need whatever's going to make you the most productive is what you need. And so, and you know, better than we do tell us what what you need. That's great. And that's great that you offer that. And I, I find that to be a really good solution too, when you trust your people to know themselves. He's mentioned this as well about your team in the Pacific Northwest. I've actually found working from home myself for over 10 years that I work more <laughs> working from home than I did than I, then when I went into an office, because there has been like one job in between where I had an office, but when I was going into the office, like I didn't get as much done. People interrupt you. You've got more meetings. It's like, 
at home, I mean, yes, there's distractions and things like, yes, you can go throw your laundry in or take your dogs out or things like that. But honestly, your work is always there. So you can create times where you can, it's quiet in your home and you can flip the laptop open and get some things done to your point. So I find that it's overall a more productive way to lead a team. Yeah. And I have too, even from where I am in the world, it just depends on your team and whether you can create that work-life balance, right? So like I have hard hours on my calendar blocked off. I don't work in the mornings. I work about 12 to five and then I have my dinner off. It's so hard to turn off from that time, right? From five to eight when my team is at their peak, right? Because for the Pacific Northwest, that's when they're just coming online. It's all about boundaries. And so you have to create those boundaries and hold to them. If you're expecting your team, when you're creating this work-life balance in this culture, you have to live the culture as much as you expect everybody else to. We have rules that no client emails go after 6 p.m. in your time zone. We do not want to create a culture where people are answering the phone in the middle of the night. Like that's not sustainable. Yeah. So me, myself, when I set those clear boundaries of when I'm working, when I'm not, I close my computer and I go downstairs without my phone or my computer and I go make dinner for my kids. You Mm -hmm. have to figure out what those hard boundaries are for yourself because it is very easy, especially when you are in a leadership role or when you own your own company to just want to work all the time. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I've, I've been so guilty of this. I made myself sick doing this kind of stuff. Like in my early twenties, I worked nonstop. I mean, there were no boundaries. I was like sleeping with cell phones. I mean, it was Carrie, it was bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. So yeah, having those boundaries are important, but yes, you living them because your people follow you. So you create the culture. I mean, I love that you said that and you really create that work life balance or uh, harmony or however you want to put it, because they're going to follow you, right? So if you're showing them that, you know, work all the time, always answer emails. So I love that you put those, those boundaries in place because they're going to follow you because they'll feel guilty. You know, if you are the one doing that all the time, they're like, Oh, I got to do that too. Cause Carrie's doing that. So they follow suit. That's really important to know in building culture. I, t- again, I talk about remote teams all the time too. So I love hearing your perspective. And I mean, I think you've pretty much nailed it because you have this very lean team, but they're spread all across the U S you're in the UK. So clearly it's working. You've done it for 10 years. That's incredible. I want to shift gears a little bit though, because I just, I was telling you about this before we jumped on here. I'm obsessed with empathy. I know like my listeners were like, oh God, here she goes again, talking about empathy. But the reason I'm so obsessed with it is because I run in a lot of leadership circles with women. Whenever I'm at like a women's event about leadership or anything like that, you can ask women in the room and say, ask them, what's the number one characteristic or leadership quality that you think is important? And they'll often say, empathy as the number one thing, because when you're able to understand somebody else and put yourself in their shoes, you can really do anything as a leader. You can understand anyone as a leader. An interesting topic that you focus on is tactical empathy. So I really wanted to ask you about that and ask your insight, because that's a little bit different than what I've been talking about. Tell us a little bit about tactical empathy and your opinion on that, because that's what I talk about on the show is your opinions. Tell us a little bit about tactical empathy. So empathy feels really, we like to call it smoke, right? Like it's this word sort of surrounds us. We can't feel it. We don't really know, understand what it is until we've lived it. And so tactical empathy is finding those moments of reality in which we can really feel it 
and see it and almost touch it. That's what tactical means is to touch something. When I talk about being a people first company and living human to human, the tactical part of that, it comes in our policies. It comes in how it's like I've been talking about in terms of the way that I live, if I'm setting boundaries, setting those boundaries, because I have to set them for myself, but I also need to set them because I know that there's other parents and I know the life that they're living and I know that they have kids. And so if I set the clear boundaries for myself as a parent, I know they're looking at that and going, okay, it's okay for me to set boundaries, to live my life and to be with my kids during that important time and, and to leave work alone. That's okay, right? That's tactical empathy policies in terms of not sending emails after six because you're entitled to a life. Tactical empathy in terms of also to in the table's turn. We've been living remote life from day one. So when the world shut down almost exactly a year ago, you know, when our clients were thrown into remote working overnight, it's us extending a hand and saying, how can we help you? We've been mm-hmm. doing this for a long time. What do you need? What's going to make you feel successful? We, we've been there. We know so we've been doing this. How can we help? Those are all tactics. We like to do something called wowisms, where we just show up out of nowhere when somebody's going through a hard time and send them a gift. Or maybe they bought a new house or maybe they had a baby. Here is a present from us to say, we understand what you're going through and here's a little token of our appreciation, right? Those are all tactics. That's really what it's all about. It's not just saying, I get you or I feel you. It's actually following through with a tactic with feeling with something you can touch and hold and go yes somebody understands where I am in this moment in time I am so obsessed with this Carrie oh my god I love it so it's basically obviously I mean it's in the name to your point right tactical you can touch it you can feel it but you're right empathy I think the reason some people don't get it is because I love what you said smoke you know because it's like okay but what does it really mean to have empathy what does it really mean to act upon empathy or really embody empathy. Tactical empathy is like the touch it, feel it, actually act it out and live it. And I love what you were saying about flipping it, not just having it internally, but flipping it to your clients. Because who I saw be be very successful, which obviously you guys were through the pandemic because you're here talking to me, (laughs) so you're still standing, are those companies that had true empathy, but this concept of tactical empathy that you're talking about, because they weren't just like, "Mm, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. No, they said, how can we help you? We understand this. What can I do to be there for you? I love the concept of sending them a little something or a little care package. You know, I saw some companies do some cool things like sending care, care packages to people that needed it, things like that. Very personalized things. Um, I have a, a particular client now that does particular uh, care gift packages for different Zoom calls and meetings and things like that. It has worked beautifully because it's a tactical empathy thing because they're so Zoom fatigued right now. And it's kept engagement so high. Having something that is a, a touch it, feel it kind of thing. And it doesn't have to be a gift to your point too. It's, it's actually showing though and making that person feel that you understand. It's taking empathy to that next step and removing the smoke and showing the proof. So I really love that. That's like a perfect way to transition out of my series because I, I feel like some people understand empathy as a concept, but they don't know how to implement it. 
The easiest way to implement it, quite honestly, Maya, is your values. What does your company stand for? I mean, for us, it's people first. It's sort of in our name. Treat people as humans before you treat them as employees. And my whole mission personally is to bring people first to as many people as possible. So like empathy sort of lives and breathes throughout our organization because it is part of our values from that people first to the big picture as well. Clients need to feel successful, right? How do we constantly look up out and forward to their number one goal to ensure that we're meeting that rather than getting stuck in the weeds of it, right? Our values alone sort of breathe empathy. So that's, and as well as the mission, right? That transparency, the minute you put the word transparency in there, it's like, I'm going to uphold you to it. I'm going to trust you because you're using a very important word in your mission. I'm going to trust you because nobody would put that in their mission if they didn't really live through it. There's definitely those tactical, literally gifts we're talking about, but there's also backing it up other ways through your mission and your values that also speaks volumes. That's why it's so important to have a mission statement and actually be able to show that to not only your team, but your clients as well, and be able to show them your values. Because, you know, it's so funny, Carrie, I worked for a company a few years ago and I remember coming on board being very corporate. And this was a smaller company before starting my own company. I worked for a couple of smaller companies, wanted to really get that vibe before starting my own. And I remember being like, okay, what's the mission? And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what are our values? Cause I could at least settle for that. I was like, okay, well, what are the values? I'm like, you know, corporate Maya, I'm like, I'll write the mission statement for that. That'll be my contribution here. You know, I'll never forget the owner looking at me very successful, very successful guy. Oh, we don't have a mission statement. We don't, we don't need that. We just know values. Forget it. No, the the point was to like bring people in. I'm not going to disclose what company this was, of course, but it was so wild to me. And I'll never forget. We had like a group meeting, a cocktail or happy hour or something like that. And I sat down with him. This is me, Carrie. Okay. I was like, we need, and I wrote him one because I was like, this is not going to fly. He ended up using it in one way or another, but it was never really implemented because he was never really living it. And he wasn't really showing his values. His values were really not there. He just wanted to make money. It wasn't working to your point, right? Because there was nothing tactical about it. You, You couldn't, it was totally disconnected. And that really stuck with me. And as I moved on to work with some smaller companies and when they had these really strong values and I could really feel the mission, it's very powerful. It's powerful. So we've had people, we just had our first, very first employee who started with us eight years ago. He just left. Imagine being at a company for eight years and he didn't leave for a competitor. He left because he wanted to go do something totally different. Like that's what these things do. We have clients who've been with us for over four years. We got to grow with them. Like we got to start with them when they were really small, help them grow. And now we're like doing all these brand new, awesome things with them because they don't want to leave us because of what we've helped them build. That's what mission and values does is Mm -hmm. it creates this community of people who want to bring you along with them for the ride. We have clients who've left companies and gone to new companies and brought us along. We've survived basically off the last 10 years through word of mouth. Not to say we haven't brought in brand new clients. We certainly have, but the majority of what we've done is through word of mouth and clients leaving and bringing us along. It's referral based. And the way that you do that is creating that mission, creating those values, living them and upholding them. So people are like, yeah, I want to be a part of whatever it is that you're doing. They just feel so passionate about it. 
I love that. I love that. So who, who can work with you, Carrie? Like who, I know you're, you say tech, but like, who is your ideal client? So if someone's listening to this and they're like, oh my God, I love Carrie. I'd love to work with her. Who is your ideal client? Yeah. So it's marketing leaders, preferably, you know, CMOs or marketing directors, people who are within marketing, trying to build a brand and get the name out there. That's really what we do. And preferably companies that are in tech who are in that growth stage, right? Like they sort of gone through that startup that really painful startup period of like pivoting and pivoting and pivoting and figuring out who they are. And they have it now they have who they are. They know who they are. They know what they're out to do, what they're out to accomplish. They have their messaging down. They have their marketing department settled. And now they just need to scale this thing. Mm -hmm. That's when you bring us in because we'll get your analytics wired up so that you can measure for every dollar you put in, you know, how much you get out. You can get that ROI for them now. That ROI. (laughs) Yes. And you can, you know, we'll make sure SEO search engine optimization. We want to make sure that people can find you, right? They type in their, they're having this big problem and, and, you know, people are hacking their system or whatever it might be. And then your name shows up on that first page, right? Imagine you organic lives on while organic is building and doing its thing. You bring in that PPC, you turn on that faucet and you get all those people who are currently looking for you, you get them in right now while that organic builds up and then you measure it through all that analytics that you've wired up end to end. And so that's really where we come in and then you scale and then there's a million other things we can do, but that's, you get that core down and you get that working and you see the results of that. And then over time you can add in services, but that's where you need to start. That's your sweet spot. That's who you really like to to help grow. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. So where can people find you? What's your website? Where can people find you to work with you, Carrie? Yeah. So you can always find me on LinkedIn. I live on LinkedIn. It's sort of where I hang out. It's <laughs> can't help it. Can't help. It. It's where we make friends these days, right? <laughs> I love LinkedIn. I mean, obviously my podcast is a professional podcast, so I love, you know, hanging out there. Um, it's one of my favorites as well. So I will make sure to tag your LinkedIn on the show notes too. And I always share this on LinkedIn too. So that'll be perfect. So you love connecting with people on LinkedIn. So we'll connect with you on LinkedIn. What's your website though? In terms of our website, it's mkgmarketinginc.com or we got fancy. So mkg.marketing also works. So fancy, so fancy. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're marketing, so why not, right? Why not? On the market, on the market. So awesome. So do you have a last minute tip or anything for our listeners um, when they're first starting out with their company or when they're a leader, they're taking over something for marketing, what would be a tip that you would give them, Carrie? So I have an amazing podcast episode with Marina Venturelli, who says this better than any other marketing leader I've met. I'll, I'll give you the link, Maya, to put in your yeah. notes because her message for leaders is so good. She partners with a coach And she figures out her leadership style and what matters to her. And she identifies her core values and then how she brings that into her leadership team. You don't need to start a company to have values. You don't. You need to figure out what your values are as a leader and then figure out how you want to lead a team. And that's what she does. And her story, she brings her coach on and the two of them are just like in awe of, of their energy. And so 
as much as I could sit here and say all of these things, I think it's just so much more powerful hearing it from her. So I will send you the link to that, Maya. That is so spot on and what I love to hear. And you know what? I tell everybody the same thing. Know your values as a leader and know your style. And because you want to, when you jump into your leadership role or if you're starting a company, what wherever you are in this walk of leadership life, if you don't know what type of leader you are and if you don't know your values, you're not ready to lead. <laughs> you know what I mean at that point? Because you you need to know yourself before you're ready to build this team, right? Because you got to know your value. So yes, I want to hear that episode. We will include that in your show notes, okay? So good, yes. Awesome. Well, Carrie, thank you so much. I know it's late where you are. Thank you so much for joining the show and I'll make sure that I include all this information so people can find you and work with you, okay? I love it. Thank you so much, Maya. This was, this was awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you guys so much for listening to Women for Women Wednesday. And we'll see you back here next week on My Opinion. <laughs>